That word worthy is the idea of something that is equal in weight. So he's saying that our life should be as heavy, as weighty, as the calling with which we have been called. It's to be equal to that calling with which, to which we have been called or with which we have been called. Now, of course, the question is what? What's that calling? And we see this all throughout the New Testament. This idea of calling, having been called, is used everywhere in the New Testament, primarily in Paul's letters. And we don't have time to go through all of the many places where this is used. But let me tell you, this is a refer reference to being called under the kingly um, kingdom of, under the kingdom of Christ, called to the kingdom of Christ. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3 that it is a heavenly calling. Peter calls us and tells us it's a calling to suffering. Paul tells us in the Thessalonian epistles, it is a calling unto salvation. Whenever this term is used, as Paul uses it, it is always referring to the effectual call that has been placed upon your life, that has been issued to you, which leads you out of the kingdom of darkness and sin and into the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of Christ. That's the weightiness. It is an absolutely life-revolutionizing calling that you and I have received It changes everything about us. It's not simply uh, uh, relegated to one area of our life or to Sunday mornings or to Sunday evenings or to to some church thing. This calling is an all-encompassing calling that includes every area of your life, every minute of your life. And he says, now make sure that you're living a life that is equal to a calling like that. That is a weighty thing. Just the fact that we have been so changed. So changed. Our lives have been changed. We went from a life that was not pleasing to God at all ever to a life that is fully pleasing to him in Christ. We went from a life destined to hell and the eternal wrath of God to a life that is destined to heaven in the eternal pleasure of the Son. Live a life like that. And you know, we're, we as, as a church have got to get a handle on this as we, especially now and as we continue to grow and as the days become more difficult and times become more uh, 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 darker, if I could say it like that, we have got to get a handle on this. We've got to get a grip on exactly what God has called us to and what God has called us from and then allow our lives to be equal to that. The question is, what does that look like? What does it look like when your life is equal to, is of equal weight to that calling? Well, he says it here. With, mix it with this, bring it together with this, all humility. I thought this comment was good. It's a lengthy one, but I'm going to read it to you. This commentator says this. Humility 
does not mean to see yourself as some pitiful excuse for humanity. (laughs) Some low life above whom all other human beings exist. Some piece of refuse at the bottom of the human pile. I think sometimes that's what we think of humility. Rather, he says, humility means to see yourself as God sees you. With infinite and inherent value, but with no more value than anyone else. It means being willing to accept God as the authority over your life, rather than insisting on being your own supreme authority. It means you are willing to order your life in such a way as to serve God by serving others. Now listen to this. When all Christians do that, everyone's needs are met by others in a context of harmony and love. So a life that is equal to this incredibly weighty calling that we have is a life that is lived with all humility, recognizing who we are in God's eyes. That, I mean, if you have that weight laid on you, how do you think you live? And that's where I started to say, maybe it's good that for you just to make some notes here. If I'm going to live my life with all humility, it's going to look like this. And maybe just start defining what that will look like. So you have something that you're aiming at. You know what you're going towards as you're seeking to live in, in humility. And then he goes on and he talks about gentleness or meekness with all humility and gentleness. You know what gentleness or meekness is? It's, it's the opposite of self-asserting rudeness. Self-asserting rudeness. It's the opposite of self-asserting harshness. This gentleness has the idea of, of having emotions that are under the control of the Spirit of God. And then he says patience. Patience is the, the ability to endure with difficult people and difficult circumstances with self-restraint. And then he, he informs us of, of how these things are to be practiced. As these things, as these character traits are being cultivated in our lives and in our church, cultivating humility and cultivating gentleness and cultivating patience, we then uh, uh, practice those things bearing with one another in love. They are practiced with, with love, an enduring sense of love that, that refuses to be defeated, that refuses to be overcome. Nothing frustrates you in your humility and in your gentleness and in your patience. You're just constantly bearing together with, primarily with, with difficult people. Nothing frustrates you, nothing overcomes you. And we do that as we're bearing with one another and as we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That is, we are making every diligent effort to spare no effort. Uh, We're giving every uh, effort. We're sparing no effort. We're, We're giving all diligence to maintain that which has been provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we came to Christ, when He called us to Himself, and we make every effort, we are eager to maintain that unity with peaceful living toward one another. And the church will never make a difference in the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. The church will never truly be that which God intends for the local church to be where there is not that diligent 
eagerness to maintain that which is given to us by God through the Lord Jesus Christ, namely a great unity that we have one with another. And that's why I say we need to get a hold on this as we continue to think about what it means to grow and what it means to to go. And, and, And if one day we launch out into church plants, unless there is that kind of attitude, unless there is a manner of living that is equal to this great calling. And this is not, this can't just be some people. It's gotta be all of us. All of us together seeking after, knowing exactly what it means that we are living this life equal to the calling that we have in Christ Jesus with all humility and with all gentleness and with all patience. Meanwhile, we're bearing with one another as we're eagerly pursuing the unity that we have in Christ to maintain that with peace. Unless that's the case, we'll have lots of fanfare We'll do lots of religious sounding things and we might have big crowds and good music and buildings and budgets, but it will all come crashing down. It will mean nothing in the eternal eyes of God. See, we're really good at organizing and we're really good at doing all of this structure. And I'm not downing those things at all, but just understand what I'm saying. We're really good at organization. We're really good at structure. We're really good at all those things. But unless the Spirit of God is at work in these ways, it amounts to nothing. And so we're just constantly having to give ourselves up, yielding ourselves up to the work of the Spirit in our lives. So he gives us the motivation for unity and the manner of unity. And then he shows us the means of this unity. And, and, and again, I'm not, this isn't any great, you know, revelation. I'm just kind of walking through the text. He says in verse 4, there is only one body after all. Right? There, there's only one body. There's, there's only one spirit. I mean, it's not rocket science. We know there's only one Holy Spirit. We know there's only one church of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, what is the hope of every Christian? Christ. What is the hope of every Christian? The one singular hope of every Christian is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven. One Lord. Makes sense? Aren't many lords? This is the means for our unity. We've we got to come back. We're like drawing ourselves back and realizing, wait a minute, there's just one Lord, there's one church, there's one hope, there's only one faith. This is the faith that is once delivered for the saints. There's only one gospel, praise the Lord. There aren't many gospels. There's only one gospel. It's the gospel of the scriptures. One, there's even one baptism. You might have been baptized by different people in different places. There's only one baptism. This, this is, this is the, the, the uh, baptism into the family of God. This picture here that it represents. One God. One Father of us, of, of us all. Who is over all and through all. There's just, that's the means. There's one God. So be in, in humble submission to Him. It's like there's one Bible. Many translations. One Bible. One word. One faith. This is the means. We just have to keep bringing ourselves back to this truth. So motivation, manner, means, and then the methods of unity. How do we get there? 
Well, that's verse 7. But, so there's all those one, 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 but grace was given to us all individually, each one of us. In the, yeah, I was thinking this week, I was sharing this in, the, in Uganda, and the Luo version of the Bible just says that so clearly. Grace was given to achel achel, one after another, each individual one, according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, what is the, the, the methods for this unity? What would be the method for this unity? It is this, look what he says. To the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's the point. How is it that this unity takes place amongst us? It takes place by each of us using our God-given spiritual gift. Each one of us individually there's no time to sit on the bench. There's no opportunity for you to say, you know, I'm just going to sit this one out. It's this Christ by his grace has entrusted each one of us a spiritual gift. He, he was in heaven. He came down to earth and he did a work. And what did he do? He led captivity captive. Why? So that he might fill all things. What did he do? Well, look, verse 11. He gave This is his work. He gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists. He gave the shepherds and the teachers. This is a fourfold ministry, right? From the foundational revelatory work of the apostles and prophets to the ongoing, which which is passed on now, to the ongoing work of the evangelists and the pastors, the teachers in the church to do what? To, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's actually how unity takes place. Each of us understanding our place in God's economy. Each of us understanding that we have been, not only have we been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but praise God, he has made exactly the spiritual gift for you to enable you to serve Christ by serving his church. Just the very thing that's necessary that will contribute to this great unity to which we are called. That's his point. And he says. So he's given this, this fourfold ministry. For the sake of the equipping of the saints. To do what? To do the work of ministry. I had a very wise professor. Spoke from this pulpit. Or actually spoke from that pulpit years ago. Dr. Fink who said. Uh, Your job as a pastor. Is not to make little sheep. Your job is to lead the flock to a pasture that is conducive for sheep to do what sheep do, and that's make little sheep. In other words, it's not my job, it's not the elder's job to do the work of the ministry, it's the church's job. And when we're all functioning together, doing the work of the ministry, praise God, there is incredible unity. We're all working toward one great goal. And, and that is the final point, which would be the mission of unity. What is the mission of this unity? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God 
to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, of the fullness of Christ. So that, and just this beautiful picture, it's not difficult here. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Instead, what are we doing? We're speaking the truth in love and we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body uh, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the picture. That's the mission. The mission is a fully functioning church body where we are all coming to maturity. And, and the, the, the great thing about the church body, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the great thing about the church body is, and coming to maturity is that we're all coming to maturity, but we're not all coming to the same place in maturity at one time. Right? We're all coming to maturity, but we're not coming to the, to the same, to the maturity at the same place at the same time. We're going there. That's the mission. And that's happening through each of us using that spiritual gift that God has given us as we are so equipped by Christ for the glory of God. We're using that gift and being brought up and becoming all that God has for us in Christ. And it's when we get this, friends, it's when we get this that I think that we will be somehow better prepared. Not just to grow as a church, but to launch out into this, into to the community, into the world. And really to answer what we're finding to be the cry of this world. I mean, what do you hear people who are coming here say? We just want to hear what? The word. We just want to hear the word. That's the cry of this age. And we'll be well prepared to, to, to answer that cry. To be the answer to those prayers. As we understand what this chapter is talking about. Each of us understanding a little bit about this motivation to unity. Understanding a bit about the, the manner of this unity understanding a bit of the means of this unity, methods for it, and then finally the mission as we're looking toward all of us being knit together, maturing in Christ. And what I see here is, is not just, you know, I'm, I'm reading the Bible differently today than I probably did 20 years ago. But I'm seeing here not just a sermon and not just an outline and not just something for us to look at. I'm seeing this as, as, as something that should drive our praying. This is how you ought to pray. And I suppose that's how I'd like to close tonight. Just asking you if you would consider dedicating yourself this week to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 16. Making that into your prayer for this week. Crafting your prayers for the church in this way from Ephesians chapter 4. That God would do a work that could truly only be explained as being from His hand. Amen? Let's pray together.